Welcome to the Nonprofit Newsfeed, nonprofitnewsfeed.com, bringing you the best news from the best sector, news from a nonprofit perspective and what matters. This show brought to you by Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thanks for joining us. Today on the podcast, we are talking about, well, nonprofit news, because that's why that's why we start the week every time looking at why $3 billion is the number. It's $3 billion is the number that the U.S. is donating over at the Climate Fund and also apparently was donated on Giving Tuesday thereabouts. We'll also cover some other news. Nick, how's it going? It's going great, George. Yeah, that's right. $3 billion is the number of the day today. The United States, the United States has pledged $3 billion to the Climate Action Fund at COP28. So as we've talked about, COP28 is underway. It's the climate, quote, soiree in Dubai. On behalf of the United States, Vice President Kamala Harris drops, quote, a cool $3 billion promise into the Green, green Climate Fund's piggy bank. So this is all about helping countries that are most susceptible to the impacts of climate change to be able to increase their resilience. We've talked a couple weeks ago about the importance of this. And, you know, you have island nations in the Pacific that are actively trying to preserve their culture digitally. Nations like Tonga and others that are at real existential risk of risk of not existing because of climate change. And funds like this help to do that, to help mitigate those harms. So this is an effort by nations, and it's kind of like a seed investment that over time will help build up that fund to help communities, nations, and people most at risk from the effects of climate change. So the Biden-Harris administration also touted the Inflation Reduction Act, which was the largest investment in clean energy in history, and efforts by the White House to center climate change and climate resilience and clean energy at the top of their agenda. COP28 does not come without controversy. As I mentioned, it's hosted in Dubai. By there's been some Freudian slips about like the, the the lack of science around the harmful effects of coal that aren't great. So listen, I think cop cops vary in effectiveness. The idea of centering global action and climate is important. The fact that it's held in Dubai, you know, some some are are some criticize it, but at the same time, it almost illuminates the the starkness. Almost illuminates how much further we need to come. Of course, Dubai, within the Middle East, a major oil producer. So, George, three billion dollars. It's a lot of money. It's also not that much money, but I guess step in the right direction. It is the step in the right direction, and it is a you know a nod publicly to how also funds should be distributed when you consider which countries, which nations will be at greater risk, which countries haven't gotten the ability to benefit from the production and use of cheap coal in their economies to get them to uh, a level of scale and infrastructure for a population. And, you know, it is pretty easy for the U.S. having, you know, burned what we have to get where we are to suddenly say, all right, now the door closes behind us. You can't use the cheapest energy available in a portable manner. Like, I think there has to be a price tag with that sort of like, hey, you know, we got the advantages of burning dead dinosaurs. Here is alternative energy investment and means by which to 
get to a higher standard of living. And and so, you know, though it is probably a token, it is meaningful. And I, I would push back and say, having it in Dubai, having it in, you know, in the Middle East, where you have predominantly the production of fossil fuels driving economic means is, is big, is big because, you know, you're making this realization that one, you can't pump forever. Like, strictly speaking, there's a finite amount of dead dinosaur in the ground. And I'm just joking about dead dinosaur. It's, you know, microfauna compressed over time over long, you know, eons of, of generating this oil reserve, but it ain't going to last forever. And I think having that conversation now saying like, how do we plan for when the well runs dry, literally and metaphorically, is a good place to have it and a good conversation to have in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, George, I think that that's, it's a good opportunity to to talk about this and then bring everybody together. I think Biden went last year, this year, Vice President Kamala Harris went, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, it, and it centers world leaders, right? And it centers the conversation. So it'll be interesting to see the further readouts from, from all the commitments that get made at this COP. All right, I can take us into our next story, and that is, George, we are exactly one week out from Giving Tuesday 23. Uh, Giving Tuesday, the organization estimates that over compared to 2022, the industry just saw a marginal increase of less than 1%, but with 10% fewer donors, reflecting a broader decline in donor engagement. So the CEO of Giving Tuesday expressed, quote, both inspiration and concern over this trend. Uh, So the day, of course, as we talked about, and as you know, Andrew, promoting generosity has been around for about a decade. There are some hypotheses about why donor giving was stagnant this year. Again, increasing concerns around, you know, economic trends. Personally, I think that political disengagement and the overall mood of the American adult you know, giving a population is 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 quite kind of downtrodden right now. I think that that played a contributing role. It will be interesting to see, as we saw in 2019-2020, with a surge, of course, in, in donations in relation to the election and Black Lives Matter, whether 2023 is able to kind of, whether the election becomes kind of, you know, one tide lifts all boats kind of situation. And, and that kind of drums up support and activism and advocacy and, and donations and such. So, George, I think this is, this is definitely lower than our prediction. This has been a bit of a disappointment for the industry. How are you thinking about these numbers? Yeah, well, we predicted that there would be 3.4 billion raised, hopefully aspirationally predicting an increase. And frankly, it was only a 0.6% increase. More concerningly, I'd say, is the fact that according to their participation data, there was a 10% decrease, 34 million as opposed to 37 million the year prior in terms of total people participating. And I think that actually is more concerning to me because of the participation element. Just let's just be honest, like when, when Warren Buffett gives out, you know, 800 million donation at the stroke of a pen every year at a random date, like I think it's more for me that Giving Tuesday is the kickoff to generosity in Q4 in earnest. And to see that decrease, you know, gives me pause. We did see decreases in Google search incidences when when we were looking at it leading up to it. I'm still waiting on more data from there. I'm also hoping that like, as we're only a week out, maybe there's somebody who didn't fully report. Maybe there's a couple platforms, but, you know, Giving Tuesday, you know, we'll put out numbers usually that 
they are fairly confident in. I'm just hoping for some more good news uh, as we come up. I think the other uh, major narrative, I don't know if the political disengagement is the right framing, Nick, because let's be honest, our midterm elections have broken records. We are seeing broken records in uh, political political engagement. What I think is there was a major crisis in Gaza and in Israel that has been unfolding, has been taking attention, has been taking, you know, various donors' attention away from, you know, General Giving Tuesday to other avenues that may have created a, a larger moment that overshadowed the, the the giving participation of this day. The other the other thing is that a lot of Giving Tuesday activity is dependent on nonprofit participation. Like quite frankly, if you are having a parade, if you are having a walkathon, if you are bringing humans together and there's no organizing bodies bringing those people to the parade, you're going to have a very lonely parade. You're going to have a walk of some instead of a lot. And I think what is happening is the value proposition, if I'm if I'm being intellectually honest here, the value proposition for any given small to medium-sized nonprofit to go out and try to make noise on a noisy day is maybe not strategically in their best interests as it has been framed. It is hard sometimes to say, like, hey, we're going to wade into the echo chamber of social media with yet another Giving Tuesday ask. So I think there may be some of that where people are like, yeah, why am I going to choose the busiest day? Why don't I choose any other day to let my donors know. So I think there may be some of that. And I'd be interested in the the participation component of organization level messaging, because that is the driver. The number one reason, the number one reason why people give is because they were asked. So I would look at that causal relationship. George, that's an interesting question. Are you saying that there's, I mean, this is almost an economic question. There's finite resources and competition on a single day, 24-hour span. Of course, some organizations, you know, advertise, et cetera, in the week up to it. But we've kind of maximized the benefits we can get in marketing, in generating support within a single day. And now you're at a, a point where you have all nonprofits competing for finite resources within that 24-hour period. Are you suggesting that? That's not efficient. It would be interesting to see whether, you know, nonprofits reinvesting marketing at the summer when there's less engagement could potentially be more meaningful. I don't know. I would say it's a nuance of not necessarily resources, but attention. I think there's a scarcity attention when everyone Mm -hmm. is yelling. And if you are going to be messaging, you probably want to save it for a time when somebody's more likely to listen. And if there are, you know, the, you know, show me the incentive, I'll show you the behavior. If it does seem that way, that you're like shouting at a crowd of time, you're like, I'm just not going to ask my donors to do it. If they give, fine, but I'm not going to be a pushing force for something like Cyber Monday, right? That is something that has recently been created and invented. There's also a decrease in search there, but overall data for like, you know, transactions are, are still pretty high. There is, you know, the, the advantage of having people go and shop when they're primed to know that there are deals happening. So I still think that there is a rising tide and a strategy where when it is top of mind, it'll be easier to ask. But I think we're going through some turbulence in 
that transition. George, I think that that is an extremely fair analysis. We shall see what happens next year. Oh, gosh, George, can you imagine? I'm hoping for an update in numbers and like, oh, we didn't realize that so-and-so donated something. But you're not going to, you know what you're not going to find is like an extra 10% of participation just hiding around the corner. Like that, that's tricky. That's tricky. I think that's true. I think that's true. While I, I don't want to, I don't want to derail us, but <laughs> if you are thinking about, okay, what happens next year? An unprecedented amount of the world's population are voting in national elections. I think there are 47 countries with national presidential or parliamentary elections, including the United States, India, Ukraine, Taiwan, 37 EU countries, 18 African countries. It's going to be a big year for political engagement. So we shall see what that does to the fundraising landscape. Yeah, we should. I mean, we'll have a whole. We have many, many episodes to spill on, on that topic of donation trends in election years. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll take us into our next story. This one comes from the Washington Area Women's Foundation, which released a report on Black women and their gender expansive leadership project, interviewing and collecting data on the experiences of Black women in workplaces. And they found that there was a strain among Black women leaders who are, quote, leaving their roles due to hostility, strain on health and well-being, unfair job expectations, and limited career progression opportunities. There's a significant 90% of respondents reported that their roles were negatively impacting their health, uh, manifesting as chronic stress, fatigue, blood pressure, uh, the mental health impacts. George, we talked a lot about the long-term impacts of the racial justice movement, particularly Black Lives Matter, in 2020 as it related to corporate and nonprofit representation of people of color. And I we had a lot of kind of takes then about, you know, corporate announcements and promotions and DEI and all these other things, I think this report underscores the tremendous amount of progress yet to be made. Yeah, there's one quote in here that I was just looking for. And of course, this is coming from the womensfoundation.org that put out this executive summary report, which is really excellent work, right? Just let's take a step back. Strategically, when you are trying to help have a conversation, when you're trying to look at, you know, systemic issues in and around social justice, like brilliant, absolutely perfect way to go out, summarize, pull together, analyze, and then bring it so other people can sort of see it objectively as a whole. One of the quotes in here, is it's exhausting seeing the double standard for black women, especially when you see your white peers getting rewarded for half the effort you put in. And, you know, I think that encapsulates quite a quite a bit in one quote, while yes, a lot of these other stats are pointing to macro problems and still work to be done as saying like, simply putting someone in leadership positions is is only one small part of the type of change that maybe an organization is saying that they want to make. So this is a, a good yeah, this is just a good report. Absolutely. 
All right, I'll take us into our next story. This one is an interesting one. It comes from gift.org, which released in a study with the Better Business Bureau. They reveal a shift in trust among American adults towards different charity categories. We've talked on about this before, but since 2017, religious organizations have lost their top spot now with only 26% of adults highly trusting them in 2022, compared with 32% in 2017, a decrease in trust in religious nonprofits. It would seem now that veterans organizations and non-for-profit hospitals are viewed as the most trusted worthy. Um, interestingly, at the bottom of the list, you see civil rights and community action nonprofits, educational organizations, environmental organizations, and arts and cultural charities. George, this is an interesting trend. And I think also hints back um, at some of the, the broader kind of like macro political sociological discussion we were having about trust and in institutions at the top of the podcast. Yeah, the headline here is that, you know, not the, you know, veterans are at the top, but more that religious organizations, which have since inception of them doing this uh, in 2017, have for the very, very, very first time fallen out of the top spot, which is interesting and also maybe points to the macro disengagement from religious organized institutions across the country that is a macro trend playing out and now seeing that you know manifest in trust and trust is directly corollary to i would say giving and choices to give and where to give it's kind of interesting if you if you do get the the nonprofit newsfeed email we put those charts in there and looking at the change over time even though social services charities homeless shelters family counseling centers were at the bottom they experienced the greatest amount of growth from 2020 which was a lull so they went from 20% up to 25% you know so they're still lagging the pack but it is much tighter right the range uh, of nonprofit organization trust is very tightly, you know, tightly done from the bottom to the top, 25 to 28% being the range in 2022. So, you know, for those of you doing math, only a, a 3% range on that, which is interesting in percentage points because, you know, it has been as large as, you know, 11% between the high and low range back in 2017 when they started. So I, it's interesting to watch this clustering of trust and bucketing, basically, of, of nonprofits, which led me to ask, you know, what, you know, the Edelman trust barometer was showing us in that basically business is ahead in terms of trust. You know, we have business, nonprofits, media, and government. And that is the order in which Americans say they trust, percent trust in the U.S. with the business getting 55, 50 for nonprofits, 43 for media, and then 42 for government. And so the very you know, positive trends and changes for, for trust looking between 2022 and 2023. But I'm used to seeing nonprofits ahead of business. And I think that is something that the sector has to take note of and, and work in their own spheres to improve their transparency and communication. And that's what I think it comes down to. George, I think that's exactly right. And a little bit concerning because Businesses and nonprofits have different roles. Businesses, many have fiduciary responsibility to make more money. Nonprofits, many of them, most of them, have uh, responsibility and a mission to make people's lives better. And I think that 
kind of being introspective about what potentially is causing that decrease can be important moving forward. All right, George, I think we need a feel good story. And we wanted to highlight, we had a conversation yesterday, and we wanted to highlight the story of an organization called Apopo, which is an international charity that employs African giant pouched rats to detect landmines and tuberculosis. This organization uses rats, essentially, to sweep minefields in in mine-ridden places like Laos and Cambodia. (laughs) I can't say it. Shout out to Henry Kissinger. I can't say that, probably. But listen, the impact of U.S. foreign policy on places that have long been since forgotten is still being impacted by people on the ground. And this charity, Apopo, employs giant rats to help clean minefields. And if you go to them right now, you can adopt your own African giant rat that clears minefields. And it's quite, quite incredible. They had this famous rat that won multiple international awards called Magawa. He was an international hero, quote, he sniffed out more than 100 landmines that could have killed people, essentially passed away last year. But his legacy lives on and his cousins and colleagues continue to do incredible work. So I just want to shout out innovative nonprofits doing genuinely life-saving work in really innovative and critical ways. You know, I think this is a a positive narrative on a very dark historical moment in, in U.S. military campaigns. And, you know, when you watch the aftermath, you know, decades and decades later, I, I, I might end up, you know, giving to an organization just annually like this that has continued to do the work of cleanup of, of, of the net results of war. And it's hard not to be against uh, decisions like that as you like throw shade on Kissinger, who is in favor of the bombing of Laos and the most bombed country in the history of the world in terms of tonnage. You know, there's there's still cleanup going on. And, you know, brave, brave rats like Magawa, you know, did, did good work out there. So I, I appreciate nonprofits that stick around to do the the important work of cleanup. Absolutely. All righty. I do have a question for you, Nick. Uh, All right, here it what comes. Does, what does the National Park Foundation recommend wearing when hiking mountains this winter? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Snow caps. Uh, I see. I see. I see yeah. what you did there. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, might as well. It's cold out there. The top of mountains. Wear some snow caps. All right, Nick. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next time. Thanks, George.